0: Hello, and welcome back to the Rewatch Rewind. My name is Jane, and this is the podcast where I count down my top 40 most frequently rewatched films in a 20-year period. Today, I will be discussing number five on my list, RKO's 1935 musical comedy Top Hat, directed by Mark Sandrich, written by Alan Scott and Dwight Taylor, and starring Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. American dancer Jerry Travers, Fred Astaire, comes to London to star in a show produced by his friend Horace Hardwick, Edward Everett Horton. The night before the show opens, Jerry's tap dancing in Horace's hotel room awakens model Dale Tremont, Ginger Rogers, in the room below. She calls the manager to complain, who calls the room above hers, and Horace answers the phone. Because he can't hear over Jerry's dancing, he leaves to see what the manager wants. Tired of waiting for the noise to stop, Dale storms upstairs to confront the dancer. Upon seeing her, Jerry immediately falls in love, and the next day he starts following her around in a mildly creepy but mostly charming way. However, he never tells her his name, and when Dale learns that her friend Madge Hardwick, Helen Broderick's husband, is staying in the room above hers, she naturally assumes that Jerry is Horace Hardwick. All of this results in much confusion, hilarity, and of course, dancing. Top Hat was one of the many old movies that my mom introduced me to in 2002, and it has been among my favorite films ever since. I had already seen it several times before I started keeping track, and then I watched it five times in 2003, three times in 2004, three times in 2005, once in 2006, once in 2009, twice in 2010, three times in 2011, four times in 2012, once each in 2013, 2014, 2016, 2017, and 2018, twice in 2020, once in 2021, and once in 2022. This was the first Fred and Ginger movie I ever saw, and while I've since watched and enjoyed all nine others multiple times, none could top Top Hat, in my opinion. This was the fourth film that Fred and Ginger made together, but only the second in which they had starring roles, and the first that was written specifically for them. Two of their previous films, 1933's Flying Down to Rio and 1935's Roberta, gave them relatively small parts, although their scenes were unquestionably the highlights. In Flying Down to Rio, they got 4th and 5th billing and are barely in it, but they caused a splash with their one dance number and an iconic duo was born. They got 2nd and 3rd billing in Roberta, in which they basically function as the B romantic pair with Irene Dunn and Randolph Scott as the A couple. Fred and Ginger's first starring roles have been in 1934's The Gay Divorcee, which was an adaptation of the Broadway musical Gay Divorce. Critics of Top Hat, including Astaire himself, complained that it was basically a rehash of The Gay Divorcee, and like, I can see their point. Both films have a weird mistaken identity story and feature essentially the same cast filling very similar roles, with the notable change from Alice Brady to Helen Broderick in the Ginger's older relative-slash-friend role. But while I also enjoy The Gay Divorcee, somehow I feel like Top Hat just works better. The story makes at least a little bit more sense, and they didn't devote a quarter of the runtime to a single interminable musical number like The Gay Divorcee did with the frickin' Continental, although the Piccolino came dangerously close to replicating that. After Top Hat, Fred and Ginger made five more films with RKO in the 1930s. 1936's Follow the Fleet, in which they were basically the B-couple like they had been in Roberta, although they did get top billing in this one. 1936's Swing Time, which is mostly very good and would probably have made it onto this podcast if not for that one blackface number. 1937's Shall We Dance, which I kind of slept on for a while, but now I think is probably my second favorite of theirs, although the ending drags a bit. 1938's Carefree, possibly their weirdest movie, which involves hypnotism, and 1939's The Story of Vernon and Irene Castle, which I find to be disappointingly forgettable. Then, after ten years apart, they reunited for MGM's The Barclays of Broadway in 1949, which is basically Fred and Ginger fan fiction, and it makes me so happy that it exists. While there were lots of other dancing musicals being made in Hollywood around this time, the Astaire Rogers ones feel like their own genre, and not just because of the stars. I think a big part of what makes Top Hat feel like the quintessential Fred and Ginger film is the supporting cast. Edward Everett Horton, Helen Broderick, Eric Rhodes, and Eric Bloor were each in at least one other Fred and Ginger movie, but this is the only one that has all four of them. Edward Everett Horton excelled at playing the kind of guy who thinks he's in control of every situation but actually has no clue what's going on, and he's especially in his element as Horace Hardwick convinced that he can get to the bottom of everyone's strange behavior, while never suspecting that he could end all the confusion just by meeting Dale. Helen Broderick delivers wisecracks in a brilliantly dry, cynical tone that contrasts with Horton's bumbling to great comedic effect. Their characters don't seem to have a very functional marriage, but they also don't really seem to mind that. Typically the ha-ha married couples hate each other types of jokes really irritate me, but Horace and Madge are such ridiculous characters that it's actually kind of funny when they do it. And then there's Eric Rhodes, whose absurdly over-the-top Italian characterization in Top Hat and The Gay Divorcee so offended Mussolini that both those films were banned in Italy. Personally, I feel like Top Hat's portrayal of Venice as a giant white soundstage is probably more insulting to Italians than a guy doing a bad accent and being silly is, but I don't know, maybe it's still offensive. To me, as a non-Italian, I just think Eric Rose is very funny as Alberto Bedini, the dressmaker whose clothes Dale is modeling. He has some truly excellent lines, like, Never again will I allow women to wear my dresses! And, I am no man, I am Bedini! Despite his declarations of love for Dale, he is extremely queer-coded, while also interestingly being one of the most masculine characters in the film, which is kind of the opposite of how male characters are typically queer-coded. So Alberto is very silly, but also quite fascinating. Eric Blore was in half of the Fred and Ginger movies, and he's always hilarious. In Top Hat, he plays Horace's valet, Bates, who always refer to themselves in the plural. We are Bates, sir. So the next time someone complains to you about this so-called newfangled trend of young people messing with pronouns, feel free to point out that at least one middle-aged man was doing that way back in 1935. One of my favorite exchanges in the movie is when Horace is trying to explain to Bates that Jerry seems to have gotten into a perilous situation with a woman by saying, "He has practically put his foot right into a hornet's nest." And Bates respond with, "But hornet's nests grow on trees, sir." Never mind that. We have got to do something. What about rubbing it with butter, sir? You blasted fool, you can't rub a girl with butter! My sister got into a hornet's nest and we rubbed her with butter, sir! That's the wrong treatment, you should have used mud! Never mind that! It has nothing to do with anything, but it makes me laugh every time. This supporting cast adds a silly, somewhat vaudevillian aspect to Top Hat that no Fred and Ginger film would be complete without. Of course, Fred and Ginger movies are better known for a different somewhat vaudevillian aspect, their songs. It's very interesting to watch Top Hat from a musical history perspective because it was made before the advent of the book musical, that is, a show where the songs are fully integrated into the story and used to tell a specific narrative. The songs in this movie do sort of advance the plot, but the lyrics are generic enough that they stand alone completely out of context. It's kind of a bridge between the disjointed songs and scenes of vaudeville and the continuously flowing story of book musicals. All the music in Top Hat was written by the legendary Irving Berlin, including two solo numbers for Fred, No Strings, I'm Fancy Free, which is what Jerry is dancing to in the hotel when he disturbs Dale, and Top Hat, White Tie and Tails, which is part of his show. And three numbers for both Fred and Ginger to dance to. Isn't this a lovely day to be caught in the rain for soon after they meet, before Dale thinks that Jerry is Horace? cheek-to-cheek when they're in love but Dale is conflicted because she thinks he's married to Madge who is confusingly encouraging them to dance, and the Piccolino after Dale finally learns Jerry's true identity. Both Astaire and Rogers were significantly better dancers than singers, but typically Fred did most of the singing, and the only song he doesn't sing in Top Hat is the Piccolino, apparently because he didn't like it. So Ginger sings it first, and then an off-screen chorus repeats it. My favorite number in the film has always been Isn't This a Lovely Day to be Caught in the Rain, because I love the way Jerry starts dancing fancier and fancier and is pleasantly surprised that Dale can keep up with him, and it's fun that Ginger got to wear pants for once, and I also just really enjoy that song. There was a time soon after I first fell in love with this movie when I tried to make saying the word lovely a lot part of my personality, mainly inspired by this song. I truly enjoy all the numbers, even if I do think The Piccolino goes on a bit too long, although again, it's not nearly as painfully long as The Continental and The Gate of Orsay, which it's clearly meant to pay homage to. But Fred and Ginger's most famous dance number, certainly in this film, and also probably in any of their films, is cheek to cheek. It is pure, breathtaking magic, and even knowing about the major drama with Ginger's dress in no way detracts from that. I've heard a few different accounts of the dress drama with slightly conflicting details, but what they all seem to agree on is that Ginger Rogers insisted that a low-backed, light blue ostrich feather dress would look perfect during the cheek-to-cheek dance, and pretty much everybody else tried to talk her out of it, but she refused to back down until they were all forced to concede. And she was correct, it looks incredible, although if you're watching closely, you can see some feathers falling off while she dances, which was the main objection to the dress. Fred Astaire was reportedly extremely annoyed about the flying feathers, although he betrays none of that to the audience, and afterwards gave Ginger the nickname Feathers, which he continued to call her for many years. My interpretation of this is that it started as kind of an insult when he was genuinely upset about the incident, but evolved to become more of a term of endearment, although obviously I don't know for sure. As far as I can tell, apart from the occasional disagreement, Fred and Ginger got along pretty well in real life, although the studio sometimes invented or exaggerated stories about them fighting to try to generate more buzz. Personally, I don't think that was necessary. Their talent spoke for itself, and audiences would have flocked to their films whether or not there was conflict off-screen. One thing that I don't like about old movies is that, in general, most of the people who worked on them were deceased before DVDs were invented, which means that the special features are often lacking. I have watched Top Hat with commentary, but it's by a film historian and Fred Astaire's daughter, who was born after this movie was made. It's mostly the historian talking, but every once in a while, Astaire's daughter shares a memory of her father, and every. Single. Time. The historian responds with, in the most patronizing tone of voice I've ever heard, Thank you for telling us that. And I hate it so much but one thing that I did learn from the commentary that I definitely wouldn't have noticed if nobody had told me is that Lucille Ball makes a very small appearance in this movie as a worker at the flower shop in the London Hotel. She has a couple lines, but even though I'm used to watching her in Stage Door, which was only made two years after Top Hat, I absolutely would never have recognized her. So that's kind of fun. Now, When it comes to watching Top Hat from an Arrow Ace perspective, even I cannot deny that this movie in general, and the cheek-to-cheek number specifically, is extremely romantic. The main storyline is Jerry immediately falling for Dale and flirting with her until she falls for him and then her attempting to suppress her feelings when she thinks he's married to her best friend. But somehow, even watching it as a young teen who had no idea that I was Arrow Ace, this felt different from other romantic films I'd seen. I remember feeling irritated the first time I read a description of Fred and Ginger's dancing as their version of making love because ugh, why do people have to make everything about sex? It took me a while to realize that not only is that an apt description, but it's also part of what drew me to them in the first place. Because despite the way the terms making love and being intimate are now used almost exclusively as synonyms for having sex, they don't necessarily have to be. There are other ways of experiencing and expressing love and intimacy besides sex. It's just that our allonormative society puts sex on such a high pedestal and portrays it as the one true form of intimacy that all other forms are devalued to the point that often they feel barely worth mentioning. And I do feel like when some people talk about Fred and Ginger this way, what they're implying is their dances were the Hays Code-era version of sex scenes. And granted, it's quite possible that that was the intent. But nothing about their dancing is inherently sexual, and yet it would be hard to deny that it's extremely intimate. So as someone who craves non-sexual intimacy in a world where that concept almost seems oxymoronic, it's so encouraging to see these characters express that. Of course, I don't want exactly what they have. For one thing, I'm a terrible dancer, despite my one year of tap lessons in second grade. And for another, what they have is way too romantic for me. But although I could never have articulated this at the time, just seeing this example of extreme intimacy coming in other non-sexual forms as a young, obliviously asexual person was so important. It gave me some armor against the onslaught of aloe and omatonormative messages implying that sexual relationships are inherently more valuable and valid than any other kind of relationship. Top Hat ends with the implication that Jerry and Dale are about to get married, so I guess we're meant to infer that their relationship will eventually become sexual, but I don't see how anyone could watch this movie and still think that a sexless marriage consisting of dance numbers like Cheek to Cheek would be any less valid than a sexual marriage. Like so many of my favorite movies, it's not exactly ace representation, but it's easy to imagine many of the characters in Top Hat as ace, and often that's as good as it gets. While the subtle and probably unintentional message that sex doesn't have to be the end-all be-all is great, the main reason I love this movie is because it's just a lot of fun to watch. I'll be the first to admit that the plot is a little ridiculous and doesn't make a ton of sense, but I also have to admire the lengths they go to in order to maintain the mistaken identity for so long. Like the part when the London hotel manager tells Dale that Horace Hardwick is the gentleman with the briefcase and cane on the mezzanine, and Horace steps behind a chandelier before Dale can see him, and while she's trying to get closer, Jerry runs up to Horace and says that he has a phone call, and Horace hands Jerry his briefcase and cane and rushes off, so Dale will see Jerry alone holding a briefcase and cane and therefore still think he is Horace. Or when Horace just happens to be in the bathtub when Dale comes into their room in Italy. Or how Jerry tells Madge that he's met Dale so she doesn't think she needs to introduce him. It's like simultaneously the most far-fetched, bizarre plot imaginable and also kind of brilliantly executed, and I love it for that. And even if the plot doesn't work for you, this movie is still worth watching for its truly phenomenal dancing by one of the most iconic pairs in Hollywood history. Thank you for listening to me discuss another of my most frequently rewatched films. When compiling this list, I was very surprised to discover that Fred Astaire would only appear in one film, since I consider him one of my faves, but I hope he would at least be happy to know that that one film is in my top five. Next week I will be talking about another old Hollywood musical that I watched two more times than Top Hat for a total of 33 views, which stars a man who is often compared to Fred Astaire although I feel like apart from being dancers they were very different. So stay tuned for that, and as always, I will leave you with a quote from that next movie. I make more money than, than, than Calvin Coolidge. Put together!